0: Welcome back to another episode of the Shift Drink Podcast. I'm Ed Rudusel, and this is the first episode back in a while. I've had uh, a lot of things going on, uh, as you heard in the intro. Uh, but to make this a big episode back, it's, it's one I've been wanting to do for a while um, in a subject matter that we've touched on, but never in any sort of, uh, well, the rabbit hole we're about to head into. So today I've got Stephen Lyman, um, and we are talking shochu. And uh, welcome to the show, Stephen.
1: Thank you very much, Ed. Uh, really a pleasure to be here. Longtime listener and uh, first time guest.
0: Yeah. So it was the first uh, show showchu episode where we were really trying to scratch the surface and kind of lead into it as a primer. Uh, I think eric zamara would have would have been the guest gosh I would I think the first year and you tweeted me uh some facts and I believe I repeated them on the on the following episode and uh, that's how I first ran across you and we've kind of been bouncing tweets back and forth for the last five six years gosh a while I've been following your your work in Japan uh, which is where you are this is, is early morning for you I do appreciate you waking up early to you know sit in on my evening in the United States uh, to do the episode so uh, you know, before we get too deep into it today, uh, and there is a lot to, to you know, kind of get into, but, you know, your accolades are just pouring out, uh, you know, again, since I've been following you for a while, it's like you see these things come up. Um, you've uh, published uh, a book, not only published a book um, or, you know, as a co-author, but it was a, a James Beard finalist, the, the Complete Guide to Japanese Drinks. Um, you now host a podcast as well. Japan Distilled or co-host. Um, and you're also a uh, Honkaku Spirits Ambassador, which I don't believe you were five, six years ago. Um, so all these things are just like everything's adding up really quickly and you're, your name's everywhere, which is fantastic. As somebody that's kind of followed you and gotten to know you a little bit, I guess, online as much as you can um, over the years, it's um, kind of been a whirlwind for you in the last few years.
1: It has been. And I guess it's the it's the overnight success that took <laughs> it was 15 years in the making, I guess. I've been, been uh, promoting these drinks for a long time, and uh, people are finally starting to take notice, which is really rewarding. Uh, but yeah, the the uh, Complete Guide to Japanese Drinks really uh, came together uh, in long conversations with Chris Bunting, who is my co-author, mm-hmm. and coming up with essentially a guide to all the different beverage alcohol made in Japan, both traditional Japanese uh, indigenous Alcohols and their interpretations of Western alcohols. Uh, so it really covers everything from sake, shochu, Okinawan awamori, the fruit wines that they make. They're not really fruit wines, but things like umeshu, the plum wine, as we mistranslated. It's, it's actually distilled alcohol with the plum soaked in it and rock sugar. But, uh, and then the second half of the book is beer, whiskey, wine, and, uh, cocktails, all the Japanese, uh, interpretations of those drinks. So, uh, it was, it was a, a labor of love. It took a long time. Uh, and the beard nomination just completely floored me. I had no expectation whatsoever. Well Received
0: right. And, 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 and well-deserved. Um, you know, you've spent a lot of time in Japan, at least on this current run. Um, I don't know your background, but I'm going to ask you. Uh, so, I mean, how did you end up in Japan and and particularly kind of working in the spirits industry in general, you know, where did you get started? Did you, were you a, a service industry employee previously before you even went to Japan?
1: I have never actually worked in the service industry. I, okay, cool. I Yeah, I was a um a professional living in New York City, uh working in uh research, medical research. And I was out with some of my colleagues. We went to a uh a Spanish tapas restaurant called Tia Pol in the Chelsea neighborhood in Manhattan. Mm-hmm. Had a great dinner, lots of wine, really nice time. One of the guests was German and he said, "I could use another drink." This is Pretty late on a Tuesday evening, and we all had to work the next day. But I was like, "Oh, you're in from out of town? I'll, I'll go with you." And uh, right next, door, we didn't know the neighborhood at all. None of us lived in the area. And right next door was this Japanese izakaya uh, called Izakaya Ten. We walked in, sat down at a table, and the waitress said, "Welcome to Izakaya Ten. It's Tuesday evening, so it's twenty dollars off a bottle of shochu." Oh, And I wow. said, "What's shochu?" And she said, "Well, it's like Japanese vodka." Now I'm not a dr- vodka drinker. I don't really can't remember last night. i Had straight vodka, Same. but they, I said, well, and then I looked at the menu and I realized I could get a bottle of spirits, seven hundred fifty ml bottle of spirits for twenty bucks, and I, I was like, well, you know, we've already had the nice wine. Let's just drink something cheap. So we we ordered a bottle among the four of us, and it was lovely. We just had it on the rocks. It was uh, ichiko which is a uh, the largest barley shochu producer in Japan. Really beautiful drink. Had had great aroma. And nothing like a vodka right. I had aroma. Yeah,
0: exactly <laughs>
1: <laughs> and that that really was my first step into this world that's just completely changed my life i now uh, live in japan i moved here in 2018 uh an opportunity came up here and i really have gone deep down this rabbit hole where i've um i now work in a shochu distillery every fall i help out a small family distillery down in kagoshima uh, for a week or two weeks or three weeks, whatever my schedule allows each year, I just go and wake up at five and go to bed at midnight and I'm exhausted all the time. And yeah, it's it's great. Uh, and so it's just been this complete change in, in my world to discover this drink.
0: That's the coolest origin story. I mean, in hindsight, looking back what we know now and where you ended up. Like just think that had you not gone out that night, you may not live in Japan, you wouldn't be working at a shochu distillery, all these things. Like that's that one singular moment. That's I love it. We just wrap up the show. Thanks for tuning in, folks. You <laughs> know, <That's> the <five laughs> minute origin story. No, um, you know, it's I guess we because it's been so long since we've talked about shochu on the show. I'll let you kind of give us a quick, you know, five-minute primer. Um, before I kind of get into uh, a little bit more of the nitty gritty, because it, it, it's is—it's scary. And not only is it scary, because obviously um, anything with foreign characters on it is going to be a little bit intimidating. I mean, hell, Americans get intimidated by reading fucking Italian on a wine label. They're definitely going to if they see, you know, in any sort of kanji or anything. But um, in addition to that, there's a wide variety of styles. And, um, you know, the proof, all all these things kind of go into the intimidation factor, and it often also gets confused with Soju um, from Korea. So that, you know, doesn't help anything either, especially when we just don't have access to that much here in the States. So uh, kind of where do we start? Like, you know, a quick primer to catch everybody up so we can kind of get into your personal experience with it.
1: Sure, sure. I think just to set a little bit of context before we get into production methods and that sort of thing uh shochu has been made in japan most likely since the 1500s so it was a it was um distillation technology arrived either through korea or okinawa which was an independent country at the time mm-hmm. uh the uq kingdom uh obviously that came th- came from china came from you know there's just at the t- age of exploration you know the technology was spreading rapidly all over the world and distillation arrived in japan around that time and but not that long after that, in the 1600s, the Japan closed uh, to international trade. Right. The shochu was never ex- exported. So while all these other spirits styles mm-hmm. around the world were gaining traction all over the world, shochu just remained in Japan. And it was a local blue-collar drink made by farmers and fishermen down in, in Kyushu, which is uh, where I'm based, actually. And so the, it's probably as far as you could have been from, from, that, from Tokyo at that time in japanese history because, because hokkaido wasn't populated uh it was still a, a you know the wild wild west up there and uh but then flash forward to today there is more shochu produced annually in japan than tequila in mexico really and and yet almost nobody's heard of it outside of asia right uh which is just it's crazy to me uh and And then what you're I completely agree with you that the kanji and the Japanese writing on on labels is is completely mystifying when you're when Mm -hmm. you don't read the language, you don't speak the language. And at least, you know, Italian or French, we might butcher the pronunciation, but at least we understand the letters. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, We understand the alphabet. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: And and with Japanese, you're just completely lost. I mean, I have a bottle here in front of me. Uh, This is actually an awamori from Okinawa. I guess we're not using the video, but it has the kanji, which is the the Chinese characters. Yeah. But it has the kanji, which is the Chinese characters. It's got hiragana, which is the syllabary writing system for native Japanese words. And then it also has katakana, which is the syllabary writing system for borrowed words. Hmm. So there's two writing systems. There's three writing systems on one label. And you have to learn all of them in, in order to become literate in Japanese. Yeah. And... So it it really is a, it's a big, uh, a big lift for the consumer when a lot of Japanese shochu being sold in the States right now has essentially the Japanese label with the required English slapped on it for, for TTB labeling approval. And everything else remains a mystery. And that's actually why I'm excited about Honkaku Spirits. The company was actually founded in two, 2020. So no, I wasn't doing that five years ago. Oh, right? Yeah. Probably wasn't even an idea f- uh, five years ago. But uh, Christopher Pellegrini is a good friend of mine. Is the founder of that that business. And in working with them, there's a there's a strong focus on pr- trying to provide as much information in English as possible uh, for consumers to really start to understand these drinks. Uh, and it's really been working with small producers, uh, that really had no, or have no opportunity or no uh, ability to export. Uh, and Honkaku Spirits is a full service, uh, both exporter and importer, uh, for for these small producers try to bring some of the best things, some of the things we love uh, to, to the U.S. market. Um, but that's getting, I guess, a little bit ahead. Back to what is shochu. Good. That's the key <laughs> question, right? right. Uh, what is this stuff? Yeah. So Honkaku shochu, it means authentic shochu. So this is the traditional style, how it was made hundreds of years ago. And it, it is actually quite highly regulated. And yet there's a lot of, a lot of liberties that the producers can make or take within those regulations. So it has to be made from an approved agricultural product, but there are over 50 of them that are approved. It has to be made with koji, uh, which is the sacrification mold that replaces malting for grains in japan uh, that's sake is made with koji soy sauce is made with koji miso is made with koji mm-hmm. uh, and shochu is made with koji and then it has to be uh, single pot distilled so one time through a pot still not the irish single pot style it's one time through the still so what you get out of that first distillation that's what that's what you're you're stuck with and then you can't add anything to it after distillation other than water and time so no additives. That's part of what. That's a key differentiator between Japanese shochu and Korean soju. Korean mm-hmm. soju has virtually always has additives.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, so those it's those four rules basically. Those are the 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 the, the guardrails, right? Koji, Koji sacrification, approved ingredient, single pot distilled, no additives. So and
0: that's the, the producers like you talked about it. This being kind of a very uh, historic and part of the heritage of the people making this, um, you know, it really becomes part of your being when, you know, and that's why I really was excited to have you come on because you've actually like, as you already said in the beginning, spent time from morning till night at the distillery working. Like, I mean, this really becomes a lifestyle from what I can tell. I mean, you do it. I don't, I watch documentaries, but there was an excellent documentary I saw at one point on Netflix that I didn't realize had subtitles until halfway through. So I watched almost all of it in Japanese and and, and didn't understand anything. But, you know, just watching the daily grind. And uh, yeah, I mean, it, you really kind of live and breathe this during the season. I, am I wrong?
1: Oh, no, that's absolutely right. You really have very little time for anything else. And uh, Yamato Zakura, which is the distillery where I work, uh, it is the smallest in, independent Distillery in Kagoshima Prefecture. And Kagoshima Prefecture, I think, is around the size of Rhode Island. Okay. And it has over 100 active shochu distilleries. Wow. And all of them, almost all of them, make sweet potato shochu, which is the predominant style from southern Kyushu. Mm-hmm. And Yamato Zakoda is the smallest independent producer. Uh, and it's really the, the Toji. The Toji, that's the master brewer distiller. And we like to say master brewer distiller because he has to be a master of both brewing and distilling yeah, in order I to like make that. a great drink out of a single pot run. And uh, it's him. And then he has one seasonal full-time employee. And then he has several uh, retirees from the community mm-hmm. that come in and either work in the morning or in the afternoon. And that's it. That's, that's, that's the production team. Uh, and so then I come in for a few weeks a year and I work uh, as long as the toji does. So, when he gets up, I get up. When he goes to bed, I go to bed. Um, and his his full time employee, full time seasonal employee, doesn't do that. He's there at eight and he leaves at five. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so it's really when I'm not there from five p.m. until usually midnight, if not later, the toji is in the distillery by himself doing his work. Uh, and so now, of course, it's Japan. It's civilized. You have a breakfast break, a lunch break, and a dinner break. Uh, and there's a, usually tea time around three o'clock, but uh you're still working long long hours and sure. it's all you're thinking about for for that the uh distilling season is 100 days typically for him and he does that in six so uh 6 days a week uh usually from usually october to end of january is when he's typically distilling
0: yeah and it does it's very hands on and that's why we talked about the kind of hours that people are putting in and a lot of that comes down to um the Koji and, and taking care of that. And, and it is, um, I think we're starting to see a little bit more understanding of uh, Koji's role and some of the food we eat. Cause we're starting to see, uh, chefs integrate it into, um, curing food and, uh, meats and things like that. I know that we've used it at a couple of my restaurants. Um, it's definitely the first time you smell it, you know, you will not forget it. I mean, you'll remember what that smells like. It's very unique. Um, and it's so important. So, you know, you were talking about just kind of the importance um, of that to the flavor, one of the kind of uh, benchmarks that you have to meet to be able to make shochu or even call it shochu. You know, explain what koji is and why it's so important to the fermentation process. Because like you said, you you didn't name that many rules, right? Like there's like four key elements there, but that's a really, really big one. And I'm glad that you kind of highlighted the fermentation aspect because I think that's an aspect of all like craft distillation that gets forgotten. Like it all had all the flavor comes from, you know, the, the, fermentation, the distilling is just kind of like, you know, separation. Uh, and so I, I'm really, I'm, I'm, you're the first person to have mentioned it on the show. I, I'm, I'm glad that in Japan, they're actually called master bird distillers. That's, that's fantastic. I'm going to start calling them all that. That's, that's super. Uh, but yeah, let's, let's kind of back up into some Koji a little bit, because that to me is one of the most fascinating aspects of it. And uh, is, is that unique to japan as well i mean you know uh, we can kind of get into it a little bit i guess
1: sure so uh, koji is is uh probably not native to japan it was probably first used for fermentation in china mm-hmm. uh a lot of japanese uh fu- food traditions and things that, uh, came from china uh over over centuries and centuries but the japanese were as best anybody knows the first to isolate koji as an organism, in order to use it on its own, and so in a Chinese fermentation for like Bai, bai zhao or Baijiu mm-hmm. is uh, it's just it's a microorganism party. <laughs> like anything that wants to join that party and help that fermentation is welcome, mm-hmm. and so you've got all sorts of yeasts, all sorts of bacteria, all sorts of of molds uh, in in a Baijiu fermentation. And that probably was similar to what was being done in Korea with traditional soju. But that also that entire industry got wiped out uh, due to the war and 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 famine and making it illegal to make alcohol from rice. And so what's left uh, in Korea now primarily is is industrial distillate being flavored and bottled in the little green bottles. Right. And fortunately, there are some there are now some craft distilleries in Korea reemerging and starting to try to make a more traditional style. But there, it's anybody's guess as to how you actually make it. Right, like they're they're not even sure. So um, as as far as I know, um, and then with Japanese shochu, and actually before shochu was sake, sake co- the the isolation of koji for sake fermentation was professionalized by the nine hundreds. We're talking about twelve hundred years ago, basically. Wow. That uh, it might next I'm sorry, it was might have been the seven hundreds, uh, but it was it was before. yeah the thousands right right? (laughs) three digit
0: years
1: (laughs) that's right and uh, buddhist monks were actually um, making koji fermentations for to make sake that long ago and so koji has been part of the japanese culinary tradition for more than a millennia and shochu was the first uh, koji distillate in being made in japan now, I said earlier, UQ Kingdom, Okinawa was an independent country at that time. They actually started probably a couple of decades before, since distillation had arrived before then, and they were using what's called black koji to make their awamori, which is a rice-based distillate in Okinawa. What makes that unique from shochu, typically awamori is uh, a single fermentation. So you have koji sacrificed rice and yeast in your fermentation, oh, wow. and that's it. You just let that fermentation run. In shochu, you're typically doing a, a koji starter fermentation, and then you're adding your main ingredient. So a sweet potato shochu is usually made with a rice starter fermentation, in which the koji has been propagated on the rice. And then you add your sweet potatoes, the second fermentation, and the koji is still active and is still releasing enzymes that can sacrifice the sugars or sacrifice the starches in the potatoes. And so it's actually, koji is replacing, essentially in alcohol traditions, it's replacing malting. Right. Yeah. So when so- we when we make beer, when we make whiskey and we use malt, malted grains for other purposes, you've basically tricked the grain into germ, into germinating and and you're, it's released its sugars and now you can get those sugars out and you can make alcohol. Uh, you can't do that with polished rice because you've, you've polished off the germ, right? Mm-hmm. So there's nothing to germinate. And so koji replaces that. And the koji, it, it's a different method because you're not tricking the grain into starting to grow. You're taking the grain polishing it and then you're propagating it with this mold which the hypha of the mold grow into the rice grain after it's been steamed it needs a, it needs a soft uh, environment and then it starts to release its amylase and its protease and it breaks down the, star- the starches and the rice into sugars it can do the same thing with barley buckwheat uh, people have grown koji on sweet potatoes uh, and uh, corn of, there's actually 100% corn shochu in Japan, so all of those different ingredients could be used for the koji uh, propagation for the primary fermentation uh, before going into the main fermentation. So if you had 100% corn shochu, that would be uh, koji grown on corn, and then you add more corn, but it's 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 non kojified corn.
0: So the because um, the koji mold is so important to this, I, and, and perhaps this is a completely uneducated question, but are there different types? Uh, of like strains of this mold or is it all dependent upon what the mold is propagated upon
1: great question actually uh, there's there are many species of koji uh in shochu production there are three s- strains used there's black koji which came from okinawa it's that it's an ancient style it, it actually gives you a lot of mushroom a lot of funk a lot of like hmm. uh forest floor kind of character
0: the perfect name for then, it that, you know when i hear black fungus or, or mold that is exactly what i think of is like you know the mushrooms the mold the forest floor so perfectly named good job <laughs> that's, right. that's right
1: and then there was a spontaneous mutation of that in the laboratory in 1923 and that's called white koji. and it actually blooms white on the on the grain and that is really really neutral it adds a little bit of sweetness it doesn't really do much as far as flavor compared to black koji uh-huh. and then you have yellow koji which is what almost all sake is made from and yellow koji gives it more floral aromatics uh and that's why sake has such beautiful aromas sometimes uh, it's from the yellow koji but all three of those styles are used or all three of those strains are used in shochu production okay. now when you're actually this is getting really nitty gritty but when you're going to the koji maker to buy your koji which all will no, nobody I won't I'll say nobody, but almost nobody makes their own koji in the okay. distillery. Okay. It's all it's all essentially bought from a koji manufacturer. I believe there's four of them in Japan. And uh there are different grades of of koji. So this black koji has these properties, this black koji has those properties, etc. And uh because there's there is like in that there's different schools of thought as to how you want your koji to propagate, and that's completely getting into this mastery of the the brewing process uh, for these, for these Toji where some Toji want the entire grain to be full covered in bloom. Others want the Haifa to grow in and they don't really care so much about the bloom. And there are different ways you can get the Koji to express itself in different ways.
0: Yeah. For those that are paying attention when he and I both mentioned rabbit hole, we weren't kidding. I mean, you, we could spend months just talking about this and I, I often kind of, imagine that these are the kinds of conversations happening um, in the off season, because, you know, you could spend a a career just on the Koji production alone. Uh, So it's interesting that you said that it's all bought commercially. I mean, so, you know, it's kind of, it's interesting that you get such a wide variety of styles. You get a wide variety of flavors, all this, and you're effectively getting them from like four manufacturers of the Koji. Now, of course, That's before it goes into fermentation, distillation. So there are so many variables, you know, um, as you kind of move along down the line, and maybe I'm skipping ahead a little bit, um, but as you're moving down down the line, are shochus dependent upon season? Like, are there vintages, uh, like vintage changes from season to season, like we would get with a wine or, you know, a rum agricole, something like that? Uh,
1: Yes, there are now a larger producer there are there are shochu producers that are they do this at an industrial scale mm-hmm. uh for example there's a distillery down in uh in miyazaki prefecture that makes about 400 000 liters of distillate a day and yamato zakoda where i work makes forty thousand liters of distillate a year
0: mm-hmm.
1: so they make 10 times more in one day than he makes in an entire oh, right, year right <laughs> so that's industrial scale right but uh, and for those large distilleries, they can blend vintages, right? It doesn't matter if the potato harvests right. have variability year over year, they can blend to get the exact flavor uh, target that they want okay. out of that ma- their main brands. With smaller distilleries, you don't have that luxury. Right. In fact, you're often getting the the remnants of the potato harvests. You're getting getting the fields that were not bought up by all the, the large companies. Hmm. And so you're really dependent on the quality of your potatoes year, year over year. And so if there's If there's really heavy rainfall, if there's some sort of disease that infects uh, some of the harvest, you end up not being able to make as much or it really affects the character of your shochu. And so when you drink Yamato Zakura year over year, if you can find that vertical, Mm -hmm. you will actually taste differences. Now, there will be a consistency to it. There's a DNA to it because he's using the same yeast, the same koji. The same fermentation times and temperatures every year, and the variable in that case will be the the climate within the distillery right. and the quality of the sweet potatoes.
0: Yeah, that right. microclimate and within the distillery is going to be uh, play a huge factor because again, we're talking about these organic substances that are playing such a big role. And uh, the reason I asked about the vintages is because you know I'm a, a rum geek and I I know that there are a lot of rums out there that you know uh, rum agricoles, that uh, or even agricultural style. I don't want to get called out on that. We just had that episode last month. But the uh, you know, uh, but interestingly, while they may be bottled and labeled as a vintage in their home domestic market, by the time they get to the U.S., it falls away. I guess the assumption is that it would be too confusing and not, I guess, um, not perceived strong enough for there to be a, a real difference for the average American consumer. And so yeah I I would love to try like a vertical of, of some of the shochu. That, that would be fantastic because it's something that you know uh I, I'm always still learning about and uh yeah there's just again the 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 craft within it is, is what's amazing to me. And you know being that single run uh on the pot still as well um has got to give you you know it, you can control for all the variables you want but something's going to happen. Um and, and like I said with the koji kind of being propagated within so you said you're, it's being purchased outside of the distillery, but it's being propagated within the brewery distillery, right?
1: That's correct. Yeah, the ko- Koji comes basically in like not Ziploc bags or they're sealed bags. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's simply uh, Koji mold that's gone to spore mm-hmm. with and it'll be there'll still be some rice grains in that packet. Okay. You then need to make a large uh, quantity of steamed rice that you propagate that mold on. And then you grow the koji over about a two-day period. Uh, if you're doing it by hand, like Yamato Zakura, you have a koji room, which is a cedar-lined room uh, that is uh, hot and humid. doesn't matter what time of year it is. If you, if you crank up the, the, the heat and the humidity in that room, you'll, it'll feel like a sauna. And that's the environment that koji really propagates best is in a hot, humid environment. So, okay. like, basically Japan in the summertime right. uh, is probably when koji was discovered, if any koji was discovered locally. because um, and, and so that all, all of that koji propagation is done by the distillery staff in the distillery, uh, and then that's what's used in the fermentation. You couldn't take that bag of right. koji mold and dump that into a fermentation have anything happen. You right. really need the propagation of, of the koji in, in, in the distillery.
0: So the um, you mentioned the um, kind of shochu season, but you mentioned it got kind of going straight through the winter. Um, so how does how does that season play out? Is that because of the harvest coming in from the end of summer and the fall when you're talking about, in and, and, and your particular case, um, the potatoes?
1: That's right. So sweet potato season is usually the larger distillers will start sometime in September. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the latest I've heard of people distilling for sweet potatoes, usually January occasionally it'll push into February and what you're doing in those winter months, once you get past probably end of the year in December, you don't really have fresh potatoes coming out of the fields anymore. Mm -hmm. Uh, What you have is aging of potatoes before they're fermented and distilled. Mm -hmm. So uh, there's, there's a distillery in Kagoshima called Yachi Yoden. They, they have one brand where they take these sweet potatoes and they hang them in the rafters of the distillery after harvest. Now these are hand harvested from their own fields so this, this distillery is, it's a, That's it's an estate distillery. Bottle, right? <laughs> That's right. And, and they hand harvest these potatoes because the machines, if they machine harvest these potatoes, it'll damage them. And if you hang them in the distillery, they start to rot because the bacteria is made it inside of the potato. So they hand harvest to keep that from happening. And then what that does is as they dehydrate, you're concentrating sugars. right? Right, So you just get this really, really beautiful expression. The other thing that distillery does, they take those same potatoes harvested by hand from the same fields and they put them in the freezer. And then that is the ice crystals break down the cell walls Mm -hmm. and release sugars that way. So you get these two different expressions of sweetness, really intense sweetness out of these two different ways of doing that. But because they're aging those potatoes, they then distill, they ferment and distill later than they would then as during the season.
0: Interesting. It's uh, I mean, there's obvious, there's very obvious parallels for any wine geeks out there when we are talking about like either ice wine or uh, botrytis um, when it comes to like concentrating those sugars. That's fascinating. I, I I'm learning so much already, and we've only been doing this for about a half an hour already. Uh, and and it strikes me just hearing you talk and the, and the passion um, coming out is that you've spent a lot of time doing this. And I don't know where you find the time. I mean, uh, you know, when when you were talking about that very first. Blast of Shochu you you had and Chelsea all those years ago. I mean, how how long ago was that? Because what you've gained, I I would I would suspect that what you know about individual distilleries and kind of like the big picture is probably more than a lot of the people working in the breweries and distilleries that work with you because you're concentrating so focused on what you are working on. Maybe I'm wrong. I'm just I'm guessing here, but you're looking at a very wide, broad picture and kind of you're talking about. Tons of different distilleries.
1: Yeah, it's an interesting question. So I started this journey in 2007. That's when I first tried uh, shochu. It's only been 15 years? That's right. Now, I didn't actually get into a shochu distillery until 2012. So it's only been about Hmm. uh, 10 years. And from 2013, though, I began to go and work in uh, Yamato-Zakota every year. And so I basically negotiated with my employer in New York to work nine months a year. For them, and then I'd come and spend three months a year in Japan, and that worked really well and gave me a lot of opportunities to visit distilleries and uh, and I've I've I I consider Yamato Zakura my home distillery, and that's where I've spent the vast majority of my time. Mm-hmm. But I've I've worked in distilleries uh, all over, and so it's just given me an opportunity to experience the the methods being used by different producers. Right. Uh, but I've still been to probably less than. 25% of the Shochu distilleries.
0: Just in your prefecture. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> like
1: you're talking about <laughs> a thousand,
0: you know, it's, it's wild. Is this, is that uncommon for um, the kind of workers to jump around and work at different distilleries? So as like kind of, we're seeing a return to tradition, a return to heritage and spirits. Um, you know, obviously if proximity is always important for anybody that needs to work, but uh, are you seeing people that are kind of living this nomadic distillery lifestyle from season to season
1: not really that that used to happen it doesn't really happen anymore mm-hmm. now because there's so much competition in the domestic market mm-hmm. uh a lot of shochu makers don't really get along right and they yeah. don't want trade secrets to be shared uh, by having people jump and and mm-hmm. movement of employment in japan isn't really a thing you're expected to like graduate from college get your job with your company and you you retire with that company right that's still quite common for japanese people to do and so it's not that common that you'll have somebody who's worked at one distillery and now there's working at they're working at another one that's probably the exception i think i've been given special access both because of my uh, ability to promote the industry the category mm-hmm. uh, internationally but also because i I've, I've just built this network of shochu makers that know and trust me over time and so they're they're happy to have me come in and work for a few days just to learn more about it, so that I can then turn around and explain it in English to, to foreign yeah, markets. So,
0: backing up, you know, fifteen years um, when you tried that first class. At that time, were you? Did you have any other interest in Japan or traveling there? Did you speak the language? You know, or, or was were you starting from literal zero?
1: <laughs> I had a I had a passing interest in Japan. Uh, <laughs> probably, like many of my generation, I used to watch Shogun. Yeah. On, yeah for uh, sure. with Richard Chamberlain, that, that miniseries, it would be, you know, we only had four television stations. Right and, that would come up. <laughs> and we just lost 80% year. of the listeners. <laughs> <They're> like, what? <laughs> what
0: television channels? What are those? <laughs>
1: yeah. And uh so that I I thought that was fascinating. As a kid, I, I was like, that's that's wild. That at the time that we were traveling the world exploring as the as Richard Chamberlain char- chamberlain's character does in that show, mm-hmm. there's this entirely fully formed civil society completely absent any western yeah. culture totally right? and that just sort of opened my mind as a as a 10 year old and then fast forward to university i was taking a political economy class and read a book about japan that was essentially it was called the peasant soul of japan and it it's a it was essentially an apology for the war mm. uh, from a japanese academic and it was really about how Japan, the, the way that the culture is or the society is is uh, organized is around harmony and peace and non-confrontation because you have so many people packed onto this really small island. Sure. Right. It's not like you know, in, in America, you can be like, well, we've got all of these planes to go discover and these mountains, and we can just get away from each other if we don't get along. In Japan, you're stuck like mm-hmm. your your <laughs> grandparents' neighbors or your neighbor's grandparents. Right. right? So uh, at least traditionally. So that's that's, that got me interested in Japan as a country generally. And I enjoyed Japanese food. I didn't know the language. I didn't have any specific interest in Japanese alcohol. Uh, I, I was more of a a foodie. I, Mm -hmm. I loved going to like a Spanish tapas restaurant or nice Italian restaurant and doing the wine pairing and that kind of thing. But I just, I missed those. Yeah.
0: COVID, you know, (laughs) I just was thinking about that a couple of weeks ago. I, I like, I really miss, like a prefix meal and like the pairings and you know, fine dining. It's not something I do all the time, but it is it is always nice to every time I visit a city, I like choose one like badass place, you know, maybe with a star or not, I don't know whatever. But you know, I have snuck into ever in Chicago a couple of times in the last two years. But yeah, it's it's you know, just something that's kind of been missing out of our life. But you you know, you're talking about kind of going to that from a foodie standpoint, not knowing the language. So exactly how do you land and you, like, get to even weasel your way into the door and be like, I will give you free labor, just please. But, you know, you're because the reason I asked that is I took Japanese for three years at university, and I still don't remember anything. I mean, like, I was hardcore three years. You know, once we hit, like, very deep, like, kanji studies is where I really hit a wall. Like, katakana, hiragana, not as big of an issue. But once you got into, like, oh, by the way, there's 4,000 of these you need to know, (laughs) like... That was where i had an issue and so i just can't imagine you know looking at um i love to watch food documentaries um sake or shochu or anything that i can see on tv right um and when i just see the signage as you're driving down the street it's just it's a lot to take in it's very intimidating and you know, we talked about the labels being intimidating but being able to navigate in a, in a foreign country um and i you know i <laughs> definitely know what that's like we know when we go home to to Bangkok you know it's like trying to figure out where anything is so how did you like adapt you know with that language barrier
1: yeah I I really really regret not starting to study Japanese shortly after I discovered Shochu (laughs) my Japanese would be much better but I I was encouraged to start uh, studying Japanese basically at the moment that I asked if I could do the internship Really. so on my first visit to Kyushu in 2012, I was uh, a guest in Kagoshima of Komasa Distillery, which is a, a large sweet potato shochu manufacturer. And they now also opened the Kanosuke Distilleries. If you've been following mm-hmm. craft Japanese whiskey, Kanosuke is, is one of the well-regarded new distilleries. That's Komasa as well. And Komasa, the uh, the he was the vice president at the time. Now he's the president. He really wanted to give me as as nice an experience as I could have. He he and I had spent time together in New York at a trade show, got to know each other a little bit. He spoke some English. And so I said, he's like, what do you want to do when you come here? And I said, I want to do two things. I want to eat at your favorite izakaya. Like, I want to drink where you drink. And I'm like, not where you take your customers. I want to go where you go when you just want to hang out. And then I want to visit a small handmade shochu distillery. And so he took me to this amazing miso oden izakaya. So, Oden is this long, these long simmered, usually vegetables, sometimes uh, meats. Um, and it was like old men chain smoking, drinking shochu from 1.8 liter bottles and the weight staff dropping things. And it was just a wonderful experience. And then uh, then he took me to Yamato Zakura. And I saw firsthand a handmade shochu distillery. And it was tiny compared to Komasa's uh, facilities. And The other thing that I to show you how little I knew, I went in July. Nobody's making shochu in July. It's too hot and humid. Sure. So I saw idle distilleries, and but I just got the bug. That that trip, I was like, man, I really want to learn how to make this stuff. Wow. And so Komasa had hired a translator for my trip, and I reached out to her and I asked her to contact uh, uh, Tekan, who's the toji at uh, Yamato Zakura, and ask if I could do an internship. And he said, mm, okay, he can do an in- internship if he learns Japanese. Mm. I get that message in August of 2013, or maybe July. I'm in the distillery in October. I didn't speak any Japanese.
0: Yeah, sure, right. <laughs> no language can <laughs> be started learned to study. in three months.
1: That's right. Screw now, you I, I I stone. we
0: know the truth.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I had learned a few things, but um, right. you know, not not enough to communicate. But I after doing that, originally I thought this was going to be a one-time thing. I was going to go work in the distillery, learn about it, take that knowledge back, and I was done. But I absolutely fell in love with the work, and I fell in love with the family. And I wanted to go back and help them every year. I wanted to go back and do the work every year. A lot of people go to like yoga camp or things like that where they're very physically active on their vacations. For me, it's going and working in distillery. I, I mean, I'm paid to work with my mind, right? Sit at a computer all day and and do research. To go and work with my hands and be able to shut my mind off for a couple of weeks. It's just a, it's priceless. Yeah. It really is a reset.
0: Uh, well, see, you you were, you are a service industry at heart. Well, that's amazing that you ended up like that very first distillery. And then you st- ended up spending so much time there in, in subsequent years. You know, it's just like you, you nailed it right on the first try. Um, you know, you've yeah. been at the right place at the right time, several times since in the last 15 years, you know, when it comes to this, it's almost like destined, you know, to, to be a significant portion of your life.
1: It, it really has. And it's, it's like, I, I'm incredibly grateful for the opportunities that have been given to me. And uh, I, and I also have now tried to provide similar opportunities to people who are interested. Cool. I've set other people up with uh, distillery visits, internships, all that sort of thing. Um, and I, but I also feel like that I think there's something for me that the japanese lifestyle is really really more comfortable for me i'm naturally an introvert and for me someplace where social distancing is the norm is yeah. is not a bad thing and that, then it's it's also the politeness and the humility that comes with with a uh, japanese culture more so than than america where i when i first started coming i felt like a bull in a china cabinet mm-hmm. i'm not a big guy i'm like an average sized american but just moving around little shopping. Like I say
0: average-sized American. Yeah, yeah, I I totally know what you're talking about.
1: (laughs) But it took me years of coming to visit to feel like I knew how to move in public spaces in Japan. Now, I might be, you know, might have been overthinking it, but I was also trying to be respectful to to, know Right, yeah. And that's always important when
0: you're going into a culture so different. And, you know, every time I go into the, like, markets – in, um, that Chatuchak market in Bangkok, you know, I just, the reason I laughed when you said that is because there's, they have signs at all the clothing places that say, you know, like we have American sizes, you know, cause if you don't, then you get an XL and it's like an American small and you're like, well, this isn't an XL, you know, I'm 240 pounds. I'm a big guy. So yeah, nothing ever fits when I buy it in, in Bangkok <laughs> ever. Um, but you know, backing up to like kind of the the pace uh, of the culture and the lifestyle. Now, I think a lot of Americans when we say Japan, just immediately you're going to think of Tokyo, right? And we see, you know, um, well, I mean, there's, I'm trying to think of what's the major intersection in the neighborhood that everybody like it's in every movie. Uh,
1: yeah, I'm Shibuya crossing. You. Thank you,
0: yeah. Um, But you know, that would be a kind of like you know, thinking of oh, the U.S. Oh, everything must be like New York City uh so what is the area where you are uh where where this surrounds the distillery um what's that like and is that where the the sweet potatoes come from is in that immediate vicinity
1: that's right so the the distillery is in a town called ichiki kushikino uh, which is a very long word and the reason it's a long word is they took two cities and mashed them together so ichiki city and kushikino city were were merged in 2006 um and the entire population of that Area is about twenty eight thousand people, okay. But only about seven thousand of those are from the Ichiki side, and on the Ichiki side is where there are seven Shochu distilleries. Oh wow! Seven distilleries with seven thousand people, Uh, and because they have great water, distillery. (laughs)
0: That's wild.
1: They have amazing water there, and Mm -hmm. so the and water. I've actually I know of distilleries that have moved when their water source has been corrupted, like they shut down the old facility, went and built a new one somewhere else. So water is vitally important for Shochu production, and Then and it's it's a it's a seaside town. It's on the the China Sea on -hmm. the west coast of Kagoshima, Uh, and it's they're they're known for uh, tuna fishing, so deep sea uh, tuna fishing, and uh, fish cakes, and not much else. Mm -hmm. Uh, There is a soy sauce factory down down the road, which is actually all the soy sauce I cook with at home is from that factory because I want to support that local economy, Um, and and then. Yes, the sweet potatoes are from southern Kyushu. So Kagoshima and Miyazaki prefectures are the southern half of Kyushu Island, basically. And that's where virtually all of the potatoes come from.
0: And you said that's the predominant style in in southern Japan is with the sweet potatoes. And we've talked about that in previous episodes. And I just I didn't want to get too deep into like just all the separate styles today because we've talked about that previously. And there's much more interesting things to ask you, Um, particularly like. So we're talking about these sweet potatoes. Are we talking about like. Small purple sweet potatoes? Are we talking about big giant orange You know, sweet potatoes? What kind um, are, are you guys using in the, the fermentation? Uh,
1: so when I said that there are over 50 approved ingredients, sweet potato is one of those. And there are more than 50 varieties of sweet potatoes used in shochu production. Wow. I thought you were going to say, like, uh,
0: all of them are sweet potato. <laughs> <I'm> like, yeah. <laughs> wow. So, yeah, lots of variables then. And, and all of those 50 are approved? for uh, fermentation and production of shochu?
1: They don't approve them as individual right. uh, potato right. varieties. So, they just approve sweet potatoes as, as a category. Wow, and, okay. And so the predominant potato is called kogane sengan. These are not food potatoes. These have actually been cultivated over years to make shochu. They're they're large, starchy white potatoes. Uh, if, you, if you steam them and eat them, you'll get a little bit of sweetness, but nothing like you'd get from eating what you expect a sweet potato to taste like, which is much more concentrated sugar. Now, those purple or orange sweet potatoes are used in shochu production, but they tend to be quite a bit more expensive because you're competing for those potatoes with, with uh, grocery stores and restaurants and you know other buyers who right. want those potatoes so the prices are higher. Uh, but there are just, it's, it's mind boggling the number of different potatoes that you can make shochu from, and they all express differently.
0: Yeah, that's uh, fascinating. And I think that is, you know, in, in liquor production or even even in brewed spirits or brewed beverages, something that people don't realize that oftentimes what's going in the drink is not the kind you would eat. You know, when we talk about cider production, you know, they're usually apples that oh, taste so great if you pull it off the tree to eat. And so that's that's fascinating because um, it's a question that I always think of right as soon as I wrap up an interview <laughs> after talking with someone uh, in Japan. I'm like, oh. Damn, I, I still don't know what kind of potatoes they use. Um, so, what are the other approved uh, ingredients in that in that first fermentation, or with the with the uh, koji? I mean, so we got sweet potato, uh, rice. You mentioned as well.
1: Uh, That's right, uh, barley, barley.
0: I remember. Okay, yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. yeah,
1: yep, yeah, barley. Really. So again, grains is one of the fifty approved ingredients, <laughs> but you've got well, I guess barley and rice are considered separate but any barley is okay mm. and so any field grass basically so you could be making it from oat you could be making it from millet uh but typically barley is used uh, just more favorable fermentation properties uh less proteins that sort of thing um and then uh it's two or six row barley can be okay. used okay um and then on the rice side you've got over 100 varieties of rice used in japan for sake production any of those mm. can be used for shochu production um, and then uh, buckwheat is is a popular style, but when you say sweet potato, that's about half the market. Really, barley is about thirty percent of the market. Rice is about ten percent of the market. Everything else is about ten percent of the market. Mm. So, predominant styles are sweet potato, barley, and rice. Uh, buckwheat or soba. So we all know soba noodles. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not actually a grain. It's a it's a flower seed, um, but we think of it as a grain because we make noodles and things like that out of it uh but that's a that's a style that was originated in miyazaki prefecture on the on the southeast coast of kyushu and then the other style that has any volume at all is kokuto sugar shochu so you mentioned being a rum geek and i i love rum as well what's really interesting about kokuto sugar shochu is you're still starting with a rice fermentation and then you're adding your sugar source so why do you need the koji to sacrifice the sugar you don't right right but what the koji does is it provides a nutrient rich environment for the for the yeasts and so you've got plenty of nitrogen and all that sort of thing and so you end up with much cleaner fermentations Mm. Uh, and these are all one thing i hadn't mentioned all show virtually all shochu production is done in open fermentations Mm. they're not closed tanks so you you're welcoming in the in the house yeast you want other organisms to join join the party to give you your own distillery's character as you mentioned from the microclimate of the distillery. Right. And uh in that kokuto shochu you end up with these very clean beautiful uh aromatics from the sugars uh that sometimes in in you know a Jamaican pot still rum <laughs> you end up getting a lot more funky and i love those. Those are yeah, beautiful right. drinks. But it's just I like how you went to, like the experience. most
0: extreme example, which is like my favorite, you know, like, yeah, totally. <laughs> it is a good starting point for us. Uh, so you, you, when you talked about like the majority of the market, you know, kind of being between barley, sweet potato and rice um, in shochu production, um, I, I really want to kind of emphasize the fact that most of this stays in Japan, right? That's do you right, have any right. idea what the what the like export market is? I mean, is it you know as a percentage of total production?
1: So I've I've heard varying numbers, and I haven't been able to confirm myself. I, something I thank you for reminding me I need to do. <laughs> uh, I've heard it's I've heard it's less than one percent, and I've heard it's less than five percent.
0: Wow, both of those are shocking exports. numbers. That's yeah. wild. So uh, so ninety five to ninety nine percent of it is consumed in the Japanese domestic market. Uh, you know, sure. so is. I was thinking about this interview this morning. Well, my morning, your uh, last night, um, because we were talking um, a couple of years ago um, with Claudia Bailoni, um, and we we're talking about the schnapps and um, and how the kind of attitude has been changing. Uh, you know, with Austrian schnapps and like it being an old man's drink and kind of the youth kind of coming into it. Are there any like perceptions regarding shochu? Um, you know, because it it is such a different culture in japan and there's a lot of like pride in history and heritage and these things and um but you know obviously the world is very interconnected now millennials are millennials wherever you go <laughs> so are are there changing attitudes about shochu or is consumption going up down staying flat
1: yeah that's it there's a lot to unpack in that question <laughs> there is <laughs> uh I have a number of different ways I think about it. So alcohol consumption generally is declining in Japan, in the domestic market, across the board. And that's because you have an aging population, a shrinking population, and young people's drinking habits have changed compared to their their parents' generation. Uh, And as a result, you have decreasing market share. Oh yeah, sorry, you have decreasing market. But shochu actually, since I believe 2003, has outsold sake in Japan. Wow. Now, both of those are declining uh, total production volumes, but uh, it's it's maintained that lead since 2003. Now there was a big shochu boom. Uh, that's Japanese English for uh, oh. you know a trend uh, mm-hmm. in uh, the mid 2000s. So around 2004 to 2007, there was a huge increase in shochu production, and that's when sweet potato shochu first became a national drink. Really, uh, basically, until the 1970s, shochu was a regional drink from southern Japan. It was kind of like bourbon was. 50 years ago. Mm-hmm. And the the first brands to break out of Kyushu were these light vacuum distilled barley shochus that are very light aromatic beautiful aromas really easy drinking. Mm-hmm. You drink those on the rocks, you drink them with some sparkling water and you just got a really lovely drink. And those were the first brands to go national in the 1970s. And then but even at that time you it was really hard to find any other kind of shochu in Tokyo, in Osaka, in Kyoto, in other parts of the country, because people just weren't drinking it. It really was considered an old man's drink. And, and especially in the, in the large urban centers, they just looked down their noses at, at rural Kyushu, right? Especially Kagoshima is as far away as you can get from anything in, in mainland Japan. And, uh, and that gradually changed as some people realized that the, complexity of aroma and flavor you get from those sweet potato distillates is just absolutely gorgeous just a fascinating world to explore and so now there are specialty shochu bars all over the country uh, i've been up in hokkaido and in Sapporo. there's four or five really well-regarded shochu specialty bars that didn't exist 20 years ago
0: yeah that's kind of the way so. i thought that you might answer that because we're kind of seeing this um interest you know obviously you know we've got our mustache bartenders you know making jerry thomas drinks but as far as like um craft cocktails and craft spirits and craft brewing you know we're seeing this kind of return to like looking at the things that maybe we shunned 25 years ago and like taking a longer look at them it's funny that you said shochu was seen as an old man's drink because that's exactly what i had heard about you know the schnapps and a lot of times these we're, you know, you've got your exposure to it from your grandfather or grandparents. And and it's fantastic that we're starting to see shochu bars open. Um, to me, that just blows my mind because we had access to, well, less than 1% of it. Um, and, and we're just a fraction of the export market, even in the US uh, at all. Um, I was in Singapore right before the pandemic hit and uh, hit, oh, I think we were at RPM. And uh, there was like... <laughs> a shochu list. And I was like, I can't even wrap my head around the existence of a shochu list. Um, But, you know, one of the things that I'm kind of curious about with the, um, you know, the renewed interest um, from the younger generations and you had touched on it as well is that, you know, in in general, not only in the Japanese market, but we're seeing a lot of younger people kind of uh, pulling back away from uh, alcohol consumption the way we've seen it in the past. And I'm wondering if maybe the the, uh, lower proof shochu at least compared to you know an 80 proof or 100 proof or 126 proof in jamaican rums (laughs) you know if if that maybe isn't like leading the charge and igniting the kind of interest in you know akin to you know going out and getting a you know a glass of vermouth at the end of the night rather than a you know shot of whiskey
1: sure i think one thing that uh japanese do quite a bit is dilute when they're drinking Mm. so uh, the, the all the rage right now is the whiskey highball, which mm-hmm. drinking trends in Japan tend to come in waves. And so there, there was a big uh, whiskey highballs were what everybody was drinking in the 1950s. Mm. And here we are, you know, in, in the 2010s, or no, I guess the 2020s now. Yeah. And, yeah. and that's what everybody's drinking again. And it's because it's 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 relatively low proof. you proof, you're down to about a beer strength once mm. you've added enough soda water to that whiskey. And that's what most people are drinking now, as far as younger people, where I see signs of, of hope in, in the domestic market here is I'm surprised at how often I'll be in a shochu specialty bar or someplace that has a really nice shochu list and see young people studying. They're actually in there to try all the different uh, expressions that they can get their hands on. So you do have that curiosity starting to percolate. I don't know how long it's going to take to actually come again, where that's going to be what people prefer. Uh, I think it'll happen. And I think what may happen is a boomerang effect, because what I'm seeing now is in uh, 2018, I was at Bar Convent Brooklyn and I was helping out a couple of the shochu makers uh, and I couldn't get people to try it. They'd be walking past the booth and I'd say, would you like to try some shochu? And they'd say, no, thanks. Maybe later. They just sail on past. Flash, Flash forward to 2021. I'm back at Bar Convent Brooklyn and I'm working at the Honkaku Spirits booth we had people at our booth two and three deep both days.
0: That's super. I mean,
1: that's, that's people fast. Were looking for it. Right. Yeah. yeah a so I, there's a huge, huge shift. And then our, we were told by the, by uh, the BCB organizers that our uh, Koji spirit seminar was the best attended seminar of the, of the, of the uh, conference. So really, really exciting. Uh, I think, and a lot of interest in, in shochu that's uh, coming out in the States right now. And I think what will happen is if shochu uh, becomes much more popular in America, mm-hmm. the Japanese domestic markets will say, ah, interesting. Maybe we should try some.
0: I love it. And You're setting they... up all of my questions right as I lead into them. <laughs> Yesterday, uh, just out of uh, coincidence, I saw, um, I'm sure it was online on Twitter or something, but it was an ad for an American-made shochu. And... I, that's the first time I'd seen something like that. I mean, we've seen, you know, kind of these craft distilleries, you know, make put some steps into, you know, uh, vermouth or, you know, th- anything, but I have not yet seen shochu. And I, I believe it was in California, which would make sense. Um, but are you familiar w- with who I'm talking about? Because I don't even know who I'm talking about. Um, there- but the reason I ask is because, you know, the, um, have you seen any young people? Trying to step into production in Japan?
1: Yeah, uh, yeah great question. Uh, to the first part about American shochu, there there are several established now shochu distilleries in oh, cool. the states. Uh St. George makes a shochu. You know what? Actually I, mean, making, it was.
0: I think it was St. George, now that you say that.
1: Yeah. Now they're they're making a uh Kasatori shochu, which is another style, it's a very small percentage of the market here, but it's using the sake lee's. Uh, oh. which still have residual alcohol. You re-ferment them and distill them. Uh, beautiful, beautiful expression, but not very common because there's not a lot of sake leaves to make it from. Right, uh, And so St. George collaborating with one of the big sake brewers out in California is getting their lees and and making that product, cool. uh, which I believe is just called California shochu. Um, and yeah. then- uh,
0: That was what I saw then, yeah, because I remember yeah. it saying just, yeah, okay, makes sense.
1: Yeah, and then there's, there's a, a sweet potato shochu distillery in Hawaii. In Oahu, called the Hawaiian Shochu Company.
0: How did I miss this? And I was just there two months ago. I didn't
1: know that. Oh, it's on the it's on the north coast. It's uh, he, it, the the owner is actually he was a distillery worker at a very very well respected handmade shochu distillery in Kagoshima, and he's now making uh, shochu in Hawaii using Hawaiian grown sweet potatoes and an heirloom Hawaiian rice it's called so nami hana that's like a beautiful drink
0: <laughs> well when you i was yeah. crossing my fingers when you said right before you said oahu cuz i'm going to be on maui and Kauai in uh well in less than a week and if i was just hoping you were going to say oh it's on it's on maui i'm like cool i'm going to go uh but of course i of course i missed it so so you know uh, that second part of the question was are there any like kind of young japanese um brewers because there's definitely been like you know as i was talking about, about that kind of return to doing it yourself, doing the small batch. You know, there's definitely um, been, uh, you know, it's, it's, I can't even put together my thoughts. You know, I was like COVID, right? My my brain's still like messed up, but you know, like the actual, the skill, the craft, the art of it has been a lot of what is drawing people back into craft spirits, craft brewing. Uh, And so obviously with such a, a deep tradition going back Jeez, depending on where you started, right? I mean, at least five hundred years. Um, you know, have has even one Japanese kid say, "You know what? I'm going to do this." You know, and and opened up that brewery distillery.
1: Well, it's it's almost impossible to get a new license. Mm-hmm. The, the government is not issuing any new shochu distilling licenses, and distillery licenses in in Japan are actually categorized by what you're making. So there are whiskey distillery licenses, there are shochu distillery licenses. There are then there are spirits licenses. So under a spirits license, you can make gin, rum, uh, other things. Uh, But so it's somebody can't just say, oh, I'm going to go open a shochu distillery. It's not that simple. You either have to buy somebody out of their license, invest in a in a distillery, uh, that sort of thing. So what what you see, actually, the easiest license to get is a spirits license. And so what there are several new distilleries being opened by relatively young people who um, are focusing in making uh, gin, rum. And then the the interesting one for me is they're making eau de vie. But the eau de vie is being made with Japanese botanicals, like really traditional, you know, sancho pepper, uh, the ume plums, right? Mm -hmm. Which are essentially pickled apricots, just different kinds of spirits like that that are just beautiful. They're really, really lovely drinks. And that's where I see a lot of the creativity happening right now. With with shochu, you do have now most shochu distilleries are small family-run businesses, so you always got the young, gen, younger generation coming in and taking over their parents' business. That just happens repeatedly, and right. so there are a number of essentially we we call them the young guns in southern Kyushu, which are these this group of of uh, young men all around the same age. They're all between at this point probably thirty and forty. And they've taken over their families' businesses and they are being really creative, really innovative, but they're doing it from generations of experience. Right. 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 It's fascinating. They, I mean,
0: I gotta, I gotta come visit, <laughs> you know, I know absolutely. where I can come You'd work. To, right. Yeah.
1: Sure. I'd love to take you around and, and have you experience this. I, I mean, it's, it's what I really look forward to when, when COVID opens up is to be able to, to host people, to have, have both, uh, whether it's people from the press or even just, uh, you know, people who love these drinks to come over. And uh, we've Christopher Pellegrini uh, from Honkaku Spirits and I've had conversations about how do we set up some sort of uh road trip, some sort of tour that right. people can come over and experience this for themselves. Because I think there's the opportunity. And fortunately, through all of our networking in Japan, we know a few tour companies would be interested in organizing things like that. So hopefully, in the future, we'll be able to set that up. Um, and then, yeah. of course, if you make it over, I'd be happy to to go down with you and Oh,
0: anyway, it, it'll happen soon. In fact, I mean, it had not COVID not hit when it did, you know, that was on the agenda, um, you know, was to come and trek through um, all of Japan as much as we could. But um, And that's one of the reasons going to Hawaii, well, again, because it was staying domestic and it was a little bit easier with uh, restrictions and passports and all that. I mean, and of course, we'd love to go to Bangkok uh, again to see family, but um, it's just a mess there with COVID. And, you know, a lot of my friends have lost their bars and, you know, still feeling the effects of that. So it's it's definitely been been a trek. You know, um, but you've got a season that's just is it just wrapping up, or was what, what it yeah, February? So you said that's kind of the tail it is, end.
1: It is. The Yamato Zakura. Actually, I mentioned earlier that uh, if there's some problem with the potato harvests, that they uh, they can't make as much. And there's been some disease in the potatoes in Uh, Southern Japan recently. And so this year, typically he distills hundred days a year. Uh, He only was able to do 60. Oh, wow. So He lost 40% of his production. Now he can't make that up. Right. Right. He only makes sweet potato shochu. Um, But what, what I think some of these distilleries are going to have to do is they're going to have to start making other, other expressions, Mm -hmm. but he's never made rice shochu. He's never made barley shochu. So he has to go learn how to do it. So he's going to, He's he's hoping to go visit another distillery that makes a different style to learn how to make it. And then he can increase his production, not just sweet potato anymore. Sure. Uh one, one thing that I wanted to come back to, you had mentioned if if there was people like traveling or going to different distilleries, that doesn't really happen currently, but that was actually the tradition. They were traveling toji. These master brewer distillers would move from place to place based on the harvest. Oh wow. So you yeah, have sweet potato in the fall, early winter. The The sugarcane harvest is in in the winter into early spring, mm-hmm. then the barley harvest, and then the rice harvest. And so they would actually tour, they would move around from, from location to location and distill the local agricultural products as they were being harvested.
0: Wow, those guys must've so, been like, <laughs> some of the most educated dudes. You know, they're like, I can make an amazing beverage out of anything. No, that's, that's right. <laughs> super cool. So being in a, a market here, uh, in the U S is um, how can we support the distilleries there in Japan right now? I mean, uh, where can we find access if at all in the U S or where any websites that you might recommend where we can buy it internationally to have it shipped? Uh, because obviously right now the, um, the beverage industry in general is, is hurting. And you just said, you know, like 40% of the harvest just didn't make it. Mm. Um, you know, how can we lend a hand to these small producers?
1: sure so i think um, unfortunately i don't think international shipping is really allowed for spirits so you're relying on what's currently available in the us market mm-hmm. and the, for these smaller producers you've got obviously honkaku spirits is importing these products and on their website if you go to a specific brand page it'll have find a retailer near you okay so you can actually click on that and it'll tell you where it's being distributed locally uh, umami mart in Oakland, California, they carry all sorts of beautiful shochu from a bunch of different importers. Uh lots of great stuff on their site and they ship to almost every US state. Uh, and then a f- there are a few other uh retailers that can ship to different parts of the country. Obviously every state's got different different nice. rules. Yep. Uh I mean w- another resource you have our website our, our sorry, I'm sorry, our podcast uh yeah. Japan Distilled give a lot of information about different expressions, different styles. And we mention brands on there that you can find in, in the States. Uh, and those are usually in the show notes as well. If you if you want to skip the, the podcast itself, just go to the website and read.
0: That's uh, no, fantastic because that's read the notes. you know we you're doing exactly what everyone needs, right? Like which is why you've become such a a, a literal and figurative ambassador for the industry. Um, because you are able to navigate both languages and you know kind of what's available in the U.S. and what's happening in Japan. So, um, you know, as we wrap up here today, so you can get to work on your next new um, James Beard award-winning book, uh, what are the, where can we find you, right? You mentioned uh, Japan Distilled, so uh, available on all the major podcast platforms.
1: Yes? okay, That's right. Yes.
0: And, yeah. and then
1: yeah. So we have Kampai.us. It's not really active right now, but it has a lot of reviews of, of shochu brands that are available in the U.S. market. Uh, so <clears throat> we haven't been updating content on there. We're trying to figure out how to nap how to migrate those shochu reviews onto the Japan distilled website rather than having two separate websites. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then on Twitter and Instagram, uh, I'm at Japan distilled. So okay. pretty easy to remember that way uh and i am on facebook i'm just not that active sure. um there and then of course there's there's my book if anybody likes yeah and cover I'll, something to read
0: absolutely i'm going to provide links to all of the above in in our show notes and uh i just i wish we had about three more hours to really kind of drill down into all of this because uh you know i was kind of joking around at the beginning about what we could spend a whole you know whole hour talking about koji but i mean i would absolutely love nothing more than to do that you know, I'm, I just, we've just had limited access to, uh, you know, drinks coming out of Japan in general, which is where your book is just perfect. Um, because it was so closed off intentionally, you know, where they kind of just separated themselves and said, we don't want to screw with you guys for a while. Um, but you know, then of course you have import export issues. Um, and of course now with COVID, you know, just uh supply chain problems. And so, um, mm-hmm. I've been saying, you know, in the rum section of the industry that I think that um, people are ignoring the rum coming out of Southeast Asia uh, at their own peril because they're just making some really amazing agricultural style rums. And, but, you know, this is, um, this is not new for Japan. I mean, you're ignoring 600 years of perfecting the art of shochu and the fact that we just can't get our hands on it is very frustrating. Um, but until then, we're going to keep bringing folks like you on talking about it and, um, putting pressure on and, and you know, and for our listeners out there, I, I know I've mentioned it before, but you know, if you're looking for something, you know, go to your local liquor stores and tell the managers, you know, ask if they have showed you. And if they don't tell them you're looking for it, um, because the more people that ask that creates demand, then they ask the, uh, distributors, which all the way gets, gets all the way back to the import. So even though you may feel like you can't move the needle, you absolutely can, um, cause those, uh, requests do make it all the way up to the importers. And so when there is a demand, somebody will find the supplies, especially folks like Steven here, um, because that's exactly what he's doing um, aside from production. So uh, Steven, I I can't believe it took us so long to to, uh, be able to do this episode. I appreciate you waking up so early in the morning uh, to kind of get it rolling. I guess it's not as early as a uh, production day, but.
1: uh, (laughs) Yeah, not so bad. It's, it's a, 10 a.m. here now, so not not that at all. <laughs> right. If I can just maybe uh, for your listeners who are in the States and are looking for shochu, I can just throw out some brands that might be available more broadly. Yeah, let's um, do it. It might, might be easy for, for people to find them. Uh, one of the first uh, imported products specifically designed for the U.S. market is called Mizu shochu, and they they now have four different expressions. They have 100% barley. No, I'm sorry. it's It's a rice koji fermentation with barley added. That's their main brand. They have a lemongrass expression. They have a green tea expression. And then they recently came out with a Sakura cask uh, yeah. aged shochu. And so that's four products from Mizu shochu. That's, they're they're distributed nationwide, so they may be relatively easy to find. They're 35% alcohol, which is a little bit higher proof than you normally have. Most shochu is 25%. Mm-hmm. Uh, but 35% was the traditional uh, ABV. So it's it's nice yeah. that they brought it back that way. Uh, then there's out in California. There's Nankai Shochu, which is a a uh, a sugarcane a uh, kokoto shochu. They have one expression at 24 percent. That's their main brand, and then they have a 40 43 percent barrel aged uh, Kokuto shochu. So got a little bit of a rum expression, yeah. uh, like a barrel aged rum. And uh, then the Ichiko, which I mentioned at the top, that's actually the brand that I first discovered shochu with. They've got a number of different uh brands available in the u.s and they're now distributed by a major uh distributor and so those are all things that are probably relatively easy to find the things in the honkaku portfolio they're so small they're so limited they're just they're just dribs and drabs around the country and the same for uh so skernick wines out of new york has a beautiful portfolio from miyazaki prefecture specifically Uh, but again those are just in such limited uh quantities you're just going to have to dig for them but those right they make they import some great stuff as well and that's just a few uh, things for your folks to think about
0: that's when they're where the requests come in uh you know because these um distribution centers you know sometimes they might pop up and you wouldn't even know about them you know especially if you're on the consumer end and you don't mess with them so yeah absolutely just make the requests Uh, i appreciate you kind of giving some more guidance this is the shochu episode that i've been looking for um, for quite a while, because you know we've we've talked about it in the past. It's either been through a sales aspect um, or as part of a greater portfolio. And the fact that you actually get your hands literally in the koji, you know, that's it's fantastic. <laughs> uh, I would definitely like to bring you on again here at some point in the future and do a part two where we can get real nerdy about the uh, the biology of what's going on uh, in the ferment uh, and with the koji. But uh, uh, we'll leave it there today. Uh, I've taken up enough of your time, Stephen. This is awesome. Thank you so much for finding me five years ago, six years, whenever it was, uh, and correcting my mistakes on the, on the podcast, and uh, and for coming on and really digging into it. I really appreciate it.
1: Great. Well, thank you very much for having me. Be be my pleasure to be back on the show sometime when you're ready. And uh, for for your listeners, anybody who wants to reach out with questions, I'm always happy to answer them and really enjoyed being on the show great questions always fun to have these kinds of conversations so thank you very much
0: absolutely well until next time kampai is that right is that yeah, that's right. Right.
1: all
0: right i thought so yeah, well right. kanpai. Kanpai. also uh, thank you so much we'll see you next time